This is Lexis, the podcast all about linguistics. Hi, I'm Matthew Butler. I'm Jackie Glancy. I'm Dan Clayton. And I'm Lisa Casey. On this episode of Lexis, we've got a kind of accent attitude special. Later on, we're going to be talking to Lauren White, who is a student at Durham University. She's done some interesting work on attitudes to local accents, which we'll hear about later on. So the work that she did in a report, which she'll tell us about in the interview in a bit, led to a story in The Guardian under the headline, Students from Northern England Facing a Toxic Attitude at Durham University. And it was a really interesting piece because as a student there, what she'd done is talked to other students and picked up on various things that had happened to her while she was there about accent discrimination linked to region and class. So the, the story in The Guardian is a good one to have a look at because of the way it covers this. And it's one of those kind of things where, despite the fact Durham is in the northeast of England, it's got very few local students there. And many of the students at Durham University come from the south of England. So in a, in a kind of as a little kind of island of southerners in, in the northeast, that sort of discrimination against a local accent is maybe quite sort of ironic. The crossover with class is really interesting, hmm. not least because, and I'm quoting directly here from the Guardian article where she said, at first they mocked and mimicked my accent. I went along with it and even laughed. But then when I persistently became the butt of jokes about coal mining and started to get called feral because I was mm. local, it started to feel malicious. Mm. And this is something that we've picked up on quite a lot, which is ideas about language kind of crossing over with class or ideas about language becoming a proxy for something else entirely. Yeah. And that seems to be what Lauren's tapped into here as well. Yes, I think what's really interesting about Durham University is that there's only 7.8% of graduates over the last five years that have actually come from the northeast of England. So as you say, Dan, a lot of the students are not from the region and a lot of the attitudes towards those people like Lauren who are from the northeast are from people who are um, from very different places to Lauren. It's interesting to hear what Lauren has to say about it and the way she went about exploring that and, and getting the views of different students. And as you will have heard, she listened to various people going back 15, 20 years, as well as current students. And it's an interesting story as well, because it's been picked up and developed in other places. So a couple of weeks ago, The Guardian led with a story, UK's top universities are urged to act on classism and accent prejudice. And they also had a really good piece linked to that, which was a series of case studies and interviews with students from all over the UK who'd experienced classism and accent prejudice, as they put it. And I think there's, there's some pretty unpleasant accounts of discrimination and bullying, which really chime with what Lauren talked about in her piece, including one here from Nina White, 26, from Stockton-on-Tees, studied English and theatre at the University of Warwick. And she says, it sounds ridiculous, but I only realised I had what people regarded as a strong regional accent when I first began my undergraduate studies. Mocking of my accent was immediate and I was shocked at the perceptions of people from the northeast. The perception of me was that if I had a drink, I would become aggressive and scrappy. And this was all because I was from the north. I'm neither of those things. And one flatmate once asked me in genuine amazement, you have the BBC up where you're from. I had to laugh, but looking back, this moment neatly encapsulated the social position that many people imagine northern towns to be in. And I can, vouch, I can vouch for this experience <laughs> as a Welsh person as well. Yes. Uh, the jokes that I had, that I have had, are about having electricity in Wales. 
Mm. When I was a younger person, to be fair, which is quite a long time ago. But they, but there is a genuine thread of jokes about regression. This imagined regression back to troglodytic cave people <laughs> uh, in the in Wales, in the north, in the wilds, anywhere that seems to be outside of large industrialised town. Yeah, even, I can remember yeah. in in my my first week at university. I met a girl from the South and I was commenting on the size of Morrison's being huge in Leeds. And I don't know whether this was genuinely a question or not, but she said, do you not have supermarkets where you come from? <laughs> I'm like, no, we've got an allotment. Yeah. But at the time, you just think you brush it off. But it's when you see this. And what's sad, actually, it, you know, you can laugh about it. But what's sad about it is that it seems to have not gone away that's like mm. over 20 years ago and it's the yeah. same jokes and it's the same yeah. attitudes that you know, there are some places that are just a bit backwards and a bit kind yes. of feral that is ultimately damaging to young people mm. it is and it would be fine to brush off as a joke if there weren't tangible social yeah. uh, implications for mm. it and of course part of um, the work on the accentism project and others like it are to are to highlight the genuine kind of social implications of of yeah. damaging narratives around accents that people don't get jobs if you yeah. know, are less likely to get jobs with particular mm-hmm. accents or that they're less likely to be considered intelligent or trustworthy or worthwhile and that's a lot more serious than being able to brush off a joke about whether Welsh people have electricity or not. Yeah mm-hmm. it's about confidence as well isn't it it's, if people feel that every time they open their mouths they're going to be ridiculed you, you just don't you don't open your mouth and so lots of people's voices are just kind of carved out of the discussion about any about all of this. Um, yeah, and some of the metaphors that the people in these case studies use are quite powerful as well. Yeah. Uh, Christopher Burden, who's 24, is from the Black Country, studied modern foreign languages at, Bir- at Birmingham University. My experience of university was a constant barrage of abuse from students and staff who were verbally disapproving of my mild but noticeable Black Country accent. Yeah. Constant barrage of abuse. That's not laughable, a joke here and there, is mm. it? And I mean, it's, it's interesting as well to see how which kinds of accents get the sort of abuse and comments. Of, and it does seem to be pretty much anything that isn't a sort of Southern or RP accent. So we've even got, I mean, there's an interesting story on theconversation.com about prejudice against the Essex accent. And, you know, it's it, there's some really good bits in that one. It's written by linguists who've pointed out some of the, the reasons why there are sort of social attitudes against the sort of Essex accent, which are linked to the idea that people in Essex are wide boys and on the make. And sort of social climbers is one of the terms I think that's, that's referred to. It's this sort of idea that, so it's quite interesting to see which accents are discriminated against. And it's, it's not just Northern accents or ones from Birmingham, the black country. There's a piece on the conversation.com which is produced by researchers in linguistics at the University of Essex. And it looks at some of the social attitudes towards the Essex accent. And it's an interesting case study, really, because in in many ways, the Essex accent traditionally was quite a rural accent. And certainly in the bit of Essex where I live, you know, the older people have still got an accent you might think you might now associate with somewhere like Suffolk or East Anglia, you know, Norfolk. It does sound quite rural, but a more recent kind of development in the Essex accent is estuary English and the spreading out of some of the what might be seen as more London features or Cockney features into that sort of area. 
And the sort of associations that's, that brings for some people, which are often around sort of social climbing, around working class people moving out of their kind of the position in society that they should be in quote marks into mm. sort of middle class um, sort of jobs and, and pay grades. And this sort of idea that as well, it's people putting something on. So it's often seen as a bit of a fake accent or people sort of trying too hard to be something that they're not. So this is yeah, really interesting what stuff. I liked, what I liked about that conversation piece that's that's quite nice, A, obviously it's written by linguists, so they, mm. they've got a really clear understanding of the way that this works. But also they state really explicitly, uh, and again, I'm quoting directly here, such judgments have nothing to do with linguistic characteristics. No yeah. English dialect is inherently better, more beautiful or more correct, but represent a form of classism. They call it camouflaged prejudices, mm. um, that we're not judging on their own merit, but making assumptions about class education and ethnicity because of how people speak and that's really the crux of it for us isn't it is that, yeah. these, that these are underpinned by much broader prejudices yeah and we've said it lots of times before that the, the the language or your dialect or your accent or the way that you pronounce certain things become mm-hmm. a proxy for broader social categorizations that are really nothing to do with the way that you speak are and and instead are, are judges of of other things. Yeah. And I think what ties kind of both of the things that we've been talking about, whether it's northern accents or southern accents, it's when people comment on your accent as a way to exclude you either from places of, you know, prestigious places of education or yeah. from fancier places to live or whatever it is. It's, it's this idea that actually you don't belong here and we'll we'll make that clear to you. Kelly Wright interview demonstrates mm, that obviously mm, absolutely, yeah. UK, it literally happens everywhere and that mm-hmm. accent discrimination is alive and kicking and actively discriminating. So she mm-hmm. was talking about people being excluded from certain neighbourhoods or encouraged not to apply for leases or properties mm-hmm. in certain neighbourhoods because there was an assumption that they wouldn't belong. And that was just done from phone conversations. Yeah. Yeah. And not even be offered the opportunity to rent a house in a certain area based on their accent, wasn't it? Yeah. And I yeah. suppose as well, that brings in sort of ethnic dimension to it as well, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. And I think what's interesting about some of the stuff that's been done on accent recently is like the Accent Bias in Britain project at QMUL. They they, they brought in things like multicultural London English and um, I suppose non-white varieties of English and there's when you bring in sort of aspects of class, ethnicity, regional prejudice, there's a real kind of hodgepodge of kind of unpleasant sort of xenophobic, racist kind of classist ideas floating around, aren't they? Which just make it even more toxic. And it's, inter- it's interesting. We're talking here about, of course, how accents and dialects are, or judgments about them are used to exclude people. But there has been some stuff floating around about how it's been used, how people have wielded their their, their non-RP accents for, for creative usage or even humorously. Um, yes. So Jess Phillips, Labour MP, who represents a constituency in Birmingham, was criticised on Twitter for spelling mum m-o-m and somebody saying who in god's name is writing this rubbish for you i suggest you sack your advisor on the spot whoever they are they do not know people and it was just a very strange reaction to uh, uh, using m-o-m pretty vociferous actually wasn't it multiple exclamation marks (laughs) i suppose it's 
there's, there's maybe that assumption that if she spells it like that, she's trying to do it in an American way. But of course, that's they're not the only people who spell it or say it like that. As she points out, and as, as a linguist points out in, in the same thread, people in Birmingham say that. it's a, that's, that's the way you would spell it if you're going to um, spell it in the way that it sounds. So it's, as the linguist Dr. R. Jackson says on, on the, that thread, you know, we say, Mom, it's a legitimate regional use. And she says, good on your bab. And the good on your bab is the, is, the, is the wielding of a regional word then to show support and solidarity for Jess Phillips, isn't it? Yeah. And it's followed by uh, multiple reduplications <laughs> of a thumbs up to generate cohesive support across the time and space that Twitter allows. There was another really nice example of somebody kind of wielding their local dialect words for comic effect recently, which was Angela Rayner in response to the government voting down uh, free school meals over half terms. She tweeted, it's their new policy for vulnerable and needy kids, Kia, eat out to help out. So she subtweets Kia Starmer's previous tweet where he uses the hashtag free school meals. So he's drawing attention to the fact that the Tories have voted down free school meals and they kind of emerge this national sort of discourse about Tories not not feeding needy children and things like that. And he, he uses in, in the original tweet, they didn't. So it is oh, is nice. definitely presenting this opposition isn't it this them and us and of course his is also a deictic reference to they being the tory party yeah uh, which is a bit of pragmatic contextual context that you need to Mm. be able to understand the tweets in the first place it's clever isn't it it's it's that kind of pun on eat out to help out but the the nout being a regional term i think is it's effective isn't it because she's she's communicating to people who use a local dialect and I think um, showing solidarity probably with mm. those people who who use a regional dialect. And it's also yeah. maybe, you know, significant. It's Angela Rayner who's been criticised a lot by people for having the temerity to be a working-class Manchester MP with a working-class Manchester accent. Lots of Southern MPs have, uh, have poked fun at her for it and she's been attacked on Twitter for having a, a regional accent and dialect. Yeah, she's wielding this word, isn't she, as a sort mm. of a witty comeback. And that use of dialect and dialect terms, Lexis particularly, for creativity and for humour is something we see all over Twitter. Probably we don't talk about it very much because we like the serious stuff, but there's loads of really wonderful things floating around. And there was something else that we spotted. Yeah, that's right. There's, there was something that had appeared as uh, Doric coronavirus advice. So this was like written in a kind of... Scots dialect and it's I suppose it's I dialect in the sense that it's uh, spelt as it might sound and I mean I, I won't you know given that we're talking about accent attitudes I'm not going to attempt to do a Scottish accent but it reads you know it reads very well if you have got a Scottish accent or can uh, imagine one and there's, there's something quite interesting about the way it's being presented because it does seem to be you know it, we, we see a lot of this advice around and it's very kind of formulaic and it's rather distant in its style and the register is all quite serious but when you see advice being given in a language that you might feel feel relates to you and sort of speaks to you in your own voice maybe it's more effective so rather than stay at home it's bide at home dinner be clarty wash your hands so don't be dirty wash your hands for 20 <laughs> seconds dinner touch your fizzog in meb or moo avoid touching your face eyes nose or mouth and there's something witty about it it's playful it's fun it may not be linguistically 100 accurate 
but it's certainly got that sense in which it's being playful and trying to uh, strike up a rapport with the reader. I do wonder as well, there's some things like this, they kind of, I know as well as being funny, they do feed into this stereotype which Lauren talked about of people with these different sounding accents to others being the butt of the joke, isn't it? It's a double-edged sword on that. I think it depends on it who's creating create, yeah. oh, the yeah. document, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's just interesting how it... When it's done, I guess it's acceptable, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, def- definitely. And I think that goes right back to the beginning of what we were saying about the whole kind of thing about making jokes about accents. In an ideal world, we'd all be able to take the, t- take the mickey out of each other for various characteristics, but it's not a level playing field, is it? And no. it's that sort of idea about punching down all the time mm. is that if, if you're in a position of power and you're mocking people's accents, it's belittling, it's, it's going to diminish them, it's, it's going to hold people back and it's going to have more impact, isn't it? But if, if we were all treated equally, we'd be able to, to mock each other's voices and characteristics. I, I, I listened to a, a Leeds United podcast called The Square Ball, and they do a really good review of matches. And they always poke fun at the opponent's accents and they play little clips of them, you know, on for the, their own podcasts and YouTube channels. And I'm sure the, the same goes for those other channels. They're, they're going to mock the, the Yorkshire accent as well. And that all seems to be in good good spirit and fun because it's people sort of firing at each other on a on a, on a sort of level footing. Um, One of the things which has emerged from this, but I guess it's always been a, a bit of a, an issue, is, is the term regional accent Yeah, and how it is problematic. And I think that maybe is something Rob Drummond talked about, wasn't it? So another angle on all of this is something that comes up quite often in sort of news reports about accents. And you see this three or four times a year is a company does a sort of marketing survey where accents are the sort of prime focus. So one of them, one of these surveys was picked up by the Bradford Telegraph and Argus. It was also picked up in the Sun, I think, and various other places. And what we often find with these kind of marketing surveys is that they're basically press releases from companies who want to promote their product, but they use accent as a way of engaging people in some sort of conversation about it. So thanks for joining us for this accent special. You'll be able to find links to all of the tweets, articles and research that we've discussed in the show notes. So we're joined on this episode of Lexis by Lauren White, who's a final year student at Durham University. She studied English language A-level when she was at sixth form and has been writing up a report, publishing a report into class, region, accent discrimination at Durham University, which has been picked up by several newspapers recently. So we thought it'd be interesting to talk to Lauren about the report and her own experience and a bit more about accent prejudice. So thanks for joining us, Lauren. Thanks for having me. Can you tell us a bit about what prompted your report? Yeah, um, I decided I was going to write an article about my own experiences because I like experienced what I would consider to be like a tipping point, which is when I was asked by a friend's mother at uni if I wrote my essays the way I spoke <laughs> and then if I could actually understand books because they're not written in Geordie. And I was sitting at the table and I was like, am I actually hearing, you know, what's being said here? And I was like, I do speak English. And then I decided when I came home, I was like, I'm, I'm going to write an article. I'm going to put that in it because I just think it's so hilarious mm. to people who actually do speak with this accent. Publish the article and then I just got loads of messages from people um, saying they had the same thing because a lot of my other experiences that I mentioned were about like Durham University. And mm. I just constantly got mocked and for my accent and then it turned into like derogatory comments about it. So 
then all of these people started coming forward and then I was like, oh, I have to just put it somewhere and send it to the vice chancellor because it's just unacceptable. Could you maybe just tell us a bit about some of these accounts and, and what other people's experiences were of this accent prejudice? The other experiences that people had were generally from the beginning, like their accent was mocked, which everyone's you know happy to like go along with laughing about, but it becomes the butt of the joke. And as one, I was talking to someone actually who contributed to the report yesterday and he was saying that every single time he opened his mouth, the only thing that people remembered about him at Durham was his accent, nothing about what he said, his intelligence or anything like that. And then that was just one part of it. And then you've got this other student who told me in a lecture hall that she was made an example of as someone with an unusual accent Mm. um, and despite saying that she didn't want to read a passage out every single lecture, the lecturer would ask her to read it out as an example of an unusual accent and would, would join in the joke from the class. And it made, it makes people feel like an alien, especially when you're mm. in the minority. Yeah. And, and I think the main pattern of it all was it starts with the jokes and then it just turns into this, it just snowballs basically. Mm. Yeah. And of course the crazy thing as well is that, it's not to describe someone with a northeastern accent who's at Durham University as unusual is bonkers, isn't it? Because you you only you, you were born up the road in Newcastle, weren't you? Yeah. So it's not as if your accent it should be alien for Durham, is it? Yeah, I know. It feels like it is there. You the only time you hear you know a northern accent is when you go and see a member of staff or when you go to the Tesco in the town. Otherwise, yeah. it's like you're in a different part of the world, and that's what they think. Mm. Yeah. So is it in the university with quite a high proportion of Southern students, essentially? And yeah. what, privately educated? Seems to be the sort of reputation, yeah, doesn't it? I can't remember what the statistic was, but there was a, there was, there's a statistic that was in the Guardian report and it was like, I think it was like 7% of students or something like that were from the North East of Durham. I think what, what makes linguists really angry is this idea of people thinking that because you speak a certain way, you're going to transfer that across into every other piece of communication you do. Mm. And actually, that's not the case. Yeah, it's that confusion, isn't it, a lot of the time about conflating accent with dialect and, like you say, thinking yeah. that people are going to spread it into other things that they, yeah, other forms of communication. You, you said as well that it sort of starts with jokes. And I suppose in a way, we, we, we can all poke fun at each other's accents in a fairly innocent way, but there's this kind of nastier subtext, isn't there, you were saying, as when it becomes about sort of class, yeah. about kind of regionalism. What do you make of that side of it? I mean, I think it's quite obvious that, you know, Geordies are always up for a laugh. Do you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> begin with, like everyone can have a laugh from up here. Mm. But then it's, and you laugh, but it's when you stop laughing because what my friend was saying about it, the only thing that they remember and the only thing that they talk about when it comes to you is the way you speak. It's yeah. just like, what is going on? Mm. And then the thing I got told was it was the Northeast is feral and you're feral. And it was like, where is that coming from? Do you know what I mean? Like, how have you come to that conclusion? Yeah. Why are you saying it months in after you know me? You've, mm. you've now been mocking my accent for the past four months and now it's turning into name calling about it. It's just like a breeding ground for that kind of behaviour. And you got quite a lot of accounts um, in your report, didn't you, from people who'd been there, not just at the same time as you, previously, other years. What was the sort of picture that emerged from that? Yeah, I think that it goes back as far as 1996, I think it was the oldest one. And it was just like, that became what I found interesting was, it was often jokes about the mines 
and cool mm. and whippets and things and even I had stuff like that when I went it was like if there was like a question to be asked about like me in like a group game or something they would just respond with cool and it was just like that is literally my heritage and yeah. I grew up in the mining village and for people to come and just use that against me as like a joke I found that like really offensive I suppose one of the things we you know we we talk about language on this podcast and it's primarily the sort of language stuff we're interested in but there's elements of sort of class region ethnicity and things around all of this as well aren't there what do you reckon can be done to stop this mm. kind of behavior because it's it, if sort of accents are being mocked and people are feeling not not just upset but undermined and ridiculed and humiliated by that kind of thing it's affecting it it's, it's attacking their identity isn't it as like you say that your sort of heritage where you're from your feelings about your own sort of personal identity what can we do to stop that kind of behavior happening do, do mm. you think i would say it's generally what would help it is better language education like the fact that it was until i chose a level english language that i realized that the way i spoke was not wrong you know i think that says a lot and how many people in the country you know given everything that i've found and things that other news places have found they have no idea that it's perfectly normal and actually perfectly right to speak in a certain way so I feel like if that was a young age in schools and just this is how our country is, it's not about how an individual is, it's about the country. It's made up of all different kinds of people. I just feel that would go a long way in stopping these ideas just surfacing as soon as you get to university and like a melting pot. 